Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey. And I'm Aubrey, and we're your hosts, and we're excited to have you back. We have an incredible, powerful episode for you today with Paul A.C., who That's is, right. he has a cool job. He does He's have a cool a job. He's a journalist. He's a movie critic for Plugged Wouldn't that be In. amazing to just be a movie yes. critic? You just watch yes. movies all day, I feel like. Yes. I feel like there's probably more involved, but... In my I mind, mean, I think in my you just mind, watch I agree with movies you. Watch movies and write you a couple. Say cool things about them. Yeah. You eat popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> his job is. But actually, his work has been published in Time, in the Washington Post, yeah. in Christianity Today. He writes at Pathios.com. Mm-hmm. and he has a very powerful journey of struggling with depression throughout yeah. a lot of his life, and not actually realizing it until later. And so, we knew listeners that you would be very encouraged by yeah. his story. He's a very funny and witty guy. Like you wouldn't know he is, interacting yeah. with him, you wouldn't know that he was struggling with mental health or with depression mm-hmm. or anything like that. And but you know, I think that is probably more prevalent than not. I think that's what you experience is a lot of people don't know from the exterior what's going on in the interior. And so we want to bring awareness to that. Many of you yeah. might also, I'm sure, be struggling with this as well. We've got a lot of resources mm-hmm. that we can point you to. We actually did a mental health series way back, episode 76 through 78. And uh, uh, one of our most listened to episodes of all time is in that series. It was with Kayla Steckline. Um, who who lost her husband to suicide after a, a mental health battle. Mm. Um, wow. and, and so I want to point you, if you're kind of dealing with that, or if you have someone in your life that's dealing with that, I want to point you to that series and go listen to that episode 76 through 78. Um, if this conversation with Paul AC or any of our podcast episodes have ministered to you, We'd love for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It, it, and I actually have a review, Davey. Can do? I read I it I didn't know this. Yes. All right, let's read it. Let's read yeah, it. This is this is another really powerful one. It, it, uh, it is a little bit of a long one, but okay. so good. I'm just going to read all of it. Okay. We have all heard it said that you are either going into the storm, walking through it, or coming out the other side. I began listening to Nothing is Wasted in 2018 while being on the other side of storms. We were at a good place in our marriage, had nine lovely children and a good life. I listened with ears to help and encourage someone else in a storm. And then ours hit. In the summer, our precious two-year-old daughter was diagnosed with stage four cancer. She fought through the treatments bravely for a year. We prayed fervently as long as there was breath, just as King David did. Our prayer was, Lord, let her tell the story of your goodness with her own mouth. But if you do not, we will. Now, I not only listen as someone who walks with others in pain, now I walk in the pain myself. Your podcasts have blessed me in so many areas, especially a phrase I gleaned from Davey about not absorbing others' pain, rather deflecting it back to Jesus. That is my heart's desire. Walk with the hurting and deflect them to Jesus. Thank you, NIW, for sharing the stories no one wants to have to benefit those who desperately need hope. Wow. Aubrey, I don't even know what to say after that one. That I'm got tears in my eyes and I'm, you know. I, yeah, me too. Just reading that whew. really quite powerful. Um, wow. Thank you to uh, you who shared that. And yeah. again, we just, we praise God because it is, this is the Lord's, 
podcast. Right. This is the Lord's ministry, and it is only the Holy Spirit that can do that. But we are That's so right. thankful every time you share with us how God is moving in you yeah. um, through this podcast because it gives I mean, it gives us the strength to keep going, but it reminds us that that we all need hope and we all need to remember again and again that nothing is wasted and somehow in the hardship, God is there. So thank you yeah, for that. Yeah. We would love to invite you to stick around after Davey's interview with Paul AC. We're going to talk about some of his journey with depression and anxiety. And we long for that to bring you hope and healing as well in your yeah. journey. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Davey's interview with Paul. Paul, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thrilling to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, man, I would love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit before we dive into uh, this book that you have released and you know this topic that we're going to be talking about is a heavy topic. It's one that so many people are dealing with um, on the topic of depression. But before we dive into that and talk a little bit about your story and your experience with depression, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and, and where you live, kind of give us some, some context for you. You bet. Um, I I actually review I actually review movies for a living. If you can believe that. Get out that. of here. I kid wow. you not. I work That's for awesome. an organization called Plugged In. So we do we do movie reviews that that sort of looks at at, at entertainment, all sorts of things from from a Christian point of view. And so I do a lot of oh, movies. Wow. I do a lot of TV. I'm used to being the movie guy. I'm used to, to talking yeah. with people on the radio uh, about much more fun topics than depression, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. I live in Colorado Springs, uh, have for most of my life. I have two adult children. Um, one of them I frequently marathon with. You would not okay. know it by looking at me, but I am <laughs> because— I am a very slow marathoner, uh, but I do run <laughs> marathons, and uh, we've done oh, awesome. together probably about five, and I've done wow. about ten myself. So, yeah, I'm not wow. sure if uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do another one because they really are miserable experiences. But they are miserable, and you've done ten of them, and I'm like, how in the I've done one. And to me, it didn't matter the speed or the pace. I just said, if we finish, this is a win. That's the way I look at marathons. If we finish this thing, that is a win. <laughs> so where did you, you run? I, I know we're getting off I track did, already. No, but that's I have okay. To... I, I did the one in San Diego, um, man, Ooh. way back, 2009. Wow. Out in San Diego. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. A beautiful place to do a marathon for sure. And I've oh, done multiple yeah. halves. I feel like your body is built for a half. It is not built for a full marathon. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I keep thinking that I'm going to throttle back to a half. But at the same time, I feel, I think maybe I'm a little bit of a masochist at heart. And I think, you know, if I'm not doing like 18, 20 mile training runs, I'm not, I'm not really working, yeah. you know? Yeah. Wow. Well, I found you can learn so much, uh, you know, while you're running, there's so much great processing that happens and good, you know, um, uh, working through, you know, emotional health stuff, mental health stuff. And work. that's what I've loved about running, but there's so many life lessons that you can learn too, you oh, know, yeah. just lessons about pain and pushing through walls and what can happen if you, you know, the stick to and perseverance of things. And it's just a, there's a reason the apostle Paul said, talked about running a race, you know, and uh, the, the prize that we receive at the end of this. And so you, you see those things in a much different perspective when you are running and you're training for yeah. something. 
Yeah, I feel like we're we're skipping ahead a little bit, but but honestly, running has been a huge part of my journey. Um, mm. It is it is probably one of the biggest catalysts that I use to try to stay out of depression. To be wow. quite honest with you, um, wow. because of all those things that you mentioned, you know, I, I, studies have shown that that exercise can help um, stir those chemicals in your brain, mm-hmm. can help keep that brain balanced. It can be a, a huge mental health tool all by itself. Some studies yep. have suggested that it actually is more effective than uh, than medication in some some yeah. instances. Um, right. But for me, sometimes life can feel a little like a marathon itself. You know, just to be completely transparent, it can feel hard. Some days it can feel like you're on mile 22 of a marathon. And I think the the experience that I've had in in trying to push through – in in just a a realistic marathon, it it has helped me – deal with and understand what I need to do to get through a particularly hard day. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, one of my favorite authors is Anne Lamott. She has this book called Bird yeah. by Bird. So I think of mm. bird by bird. And and you just push on and you find that step by step, inch by inch, mile yeah. by mile, you find your way to the finish line. And yeah, that's what it's all that's about. That's so good. That's so good. Jeez, we can camp here for forever, Paul. I want to get to your story. But, I mean, <laughs> this, this is true. I, I read Bird by Bird, and if anybody's an aspiring author out there, this is a book that basically talks about the same thing, that you know, you're trying to write a book. I mean, the daunting task of writing a book, it's like the daunting task of running a marathon. But what Anne talks about is just, just little by little, just little by little, these little sections, little snippets, little things that you just start compiling over time. And before you know it, there's your book. And absolutely, in some ways, that's how we have to approach life as well. When we wake up day after day going, you know, in seasonal depression or in longstanding depression, I don't know how I'm going to get to the end of this, but maybe absolutely. it's just bird, bird by bird, right? Bird step by, by step. Here we go. Absolutely. Wow. We just basically got to the end of our conversation at the beginning. So let's go back. <laughs> it's all going to be downhill from here. Man, this is, why don't we talk, talk to us a little bit about your journey with this? How, where do you trace back? I mean, you, you're very vulnerable in this, in this book, Beauty and the Browns. You're vulnerable about your battle with depression. Where do you trace this, this battle back to? It's a really good question. And, and it's, it's honestly hard for me to answer. Um, I think anybody who deals with with depression, um, it it is it is really a journey all on its own, right? And and yeah. sometimes it can be hard to tell where it begins and where it ends. Um, I think that that for me, you can feel a little bit of the roots uh, when I was just a little kid. Um, we moved from from Taos, New Mexico, to to Colorado Springs, Colorado. And that does not sound very traumatic on the surface because, Mm. you know, everybody moves. Lots of kids move around every year. Um, But I was a very shy, very quiet kid. Um, I I really was attached to the few friends that I had, and I didn't really have the confidence to make new ones very easily. 
And we went into a new school. When I was in third grade, we went into a, a school uh, that had sort of a different format than what I was used to. You know, you're, you're yeah. used to just being in the same classroom. You sit with the same teacher. That's fine. This one was sort of like a rotational classroom. It was an open classroom is what they called it back in the day. Um, and I came in right around the beginning of April and everybody knew the rotation. No one really bothered to tell me the rotation. And so I would wind <laughs> up just sort of floating wherever I wanted to. You know, I'd go yeah. to art class for a while. When people stood up, maybe I'd wander over to English. I never really knew where, what I was doing. Um, and, and that made me, I was always a pretty smart kid. That made me feel really dumb. I started going, uh, I, my grades went really downhill. Um, and I wasn't, because I was so lost, the the kids were not particularly friendly to me. Um, I remember riding home from on the bus one day, and and some kids just thought it would be fun to pretend to spit in my hair. Um, it was, and I didn't know how to react. You know, I was a yeah. small kid. I I had always been taught. I was raised in a Christian family, and I probably took the the whole adage "turn the other cheek" maybe to a fault at that time, mm. um, and. I felt just so uh, humiliated by the yeah. experience and so shamed. And, and I think that, that those childhood experiences, even if they're not that unusual, so many people hold on to those for, right. for years, even decades later. You know, even, right. even me thinking about it now, it's, it's decades later, and I still feel the pain of that moment. And I think that sort of triggered within me this sense of anxiety. And anxiety and depression often go hand in hand with one another. Yeah. Um, it can be a very tricky thing to, to in, in some ways, separate them. And they sort of aid and embed each other. Um, mm. As I was growing up, I don't think that I was ever truly... Um, depressed in middle school or high school or anything like that. But I was very anxious. I was very stressed most of the time and really concerned whether people liked me. I was pretty sure that people did not. Um, and eventually, when I hit college, it sort of morphed into what I would call full-blown full depression. Um, funny thing about depression is that I think that it can be very hard to recognize at first. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily these feelings of, of just overwhelming sadness, although that can be definitely part of it. It can be just this lethargy. It can be, I, I, I say in my book, for me, it almost felt like a noise where I was being disconnected from the world around me. Um, yeah. It was very difficult for me to connect with with what I was supposed to be doing, with the people I was meeting. Um, and and there was a time in, in college where I found myself really in my college dorm room for three straight weeks without leaving unless I absolutely could not help it. I would just lie on my dorm room bed. I would 
uh, I just couldn't concentrate on anything. It was it was a really miserable, miserable experience. Wow. And it took a long time to sort of pull myself out of that. And and to be honest with you, um, it 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 there was a, a really strange catalyst that that was kind of an unexpected um, trigger for me, if you mm. will, to, to truly get out of it. I slowly started to crawl out of it. I started to, you know, at least be able to deal with the world around me to some extent. But it took yeah. it took a really unexpected cat- catalyst to, to, to really pull me all the way out. Mm. Well, you're, you know, you're in this season in college where you're like, like you described, just this lethargy that's just like, I, I don't know how to engage with everybody. I don't know how to interface with the world i'm just and i don't even really understand what i'm feeling Mm -hmm. what you know maybe it is this catalyst that you're about to talk about but what um one of the things about the human experience that is interesting is that we can um we can reflect existentially on what is going on in our thoughts right and i feel like depression has one of those um it it's almost necessary to be able to start understanding why I'm feeling depressed before you can begin to start moving out of that. Did you find that experience beginning to happen in college? Were you asking yourself those questions or was this just kind of, you know, I I feel like this is how it's always been. So this is just how it's supposed to be. Were you inquisitive at all? Why is this, why is this not what's going on right now? Well, here's the funny thing. Actually, when I was in college, I didn't necessarily think I was depressed. I mm. thought I was in love, oddly enough. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> it's, yeah. This is very odd, but I think Which this is absolutely. It can go hand in hand. <laughs> they, they really can. And actually, in this case, it, it, it really did. Um, this girl yeah. who I, I, I just sort of was smitten with. She yeah. was wonderful. She was, uh, she was everything that I was not. She was happy. She was a science major. I was sort of this, this English poetry wonk. Uh, <laughs> she was nothing like me at all, and I found that incredibly attractive. But she mm. had this boyfriend, which was really annoying. And, and I found <laughs> myself sort of sinking deeper and deeper into what I thought was just this heavy duty infatuation. Right. Mm. And it got to, it got to that three week stage where I wasn't seeing anybody. I wasn't leaving all my thoughts. I, I, the, the room I, I, I was in actually a single dormitory, so I didn't have a roommate and the lights were off pretty much the entire time. Mm. Um, and and finally, I, I was getting to the point where I was I was feeling pretty suicidal, quite honestly, and which sounds very melodramatic when you when you think about you know what I've just been talking about. It, it feels very, I don't know, like a bad version of of a Shakespeare wannabe or something like that. Yeah. But it it really was quite serious for me. And finally, I got. Uh, out of my dorm room, and I wandered over to this girl's dorm room, and I said, "Listen, I need to talk with you." Her name, her name is Wendy, and uh, and I said, "Listen, I really, really like you. I need some resolution on this, or else I am l- literally going to go crazy. I I need you to tell me whether you like me too. Just let it all." I'll just sort of spread it right out on the table for her. Mm. Um, 
she said, let me think about this. And so she said she was going to come back in a day and let me know Mm. whether, you know, she might be interested in, this sounds really scummy now that I'm, I'm talking about it with you, but, but whether she was going to break up with her boyfriend break up for with me. Her boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So telling me there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. So she, she came over and now, and now all your listeners are going to hate me for forever at what I'm about to say, but she came over and she said, no, no, I'm very loyal. I'm going to stick with my boyfriend. And because I had been raised on 80s and 90s romances, mm-hmm. I, I just kissed her because that's what you do in those, in those romances. So right. we've been together ever since. We actually got married. We are married <laughs> even now. <laughs> Kid you not. Kid you not. Um, oh but the thing gosh. about it is... I, so I, th- I was you not would expecting think that. That. that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> You would think that that would have solved my problems, right? Because if right, I was in love, right. I got the girl, everything yep. was fine. Everything was not fine. Um, and that's when I really began to realize that there was something else going on. Mm. I, I found that I felt just so miserable about myself. I felt like I had, I had fooled her. I wasn't worthy of love. I felt like... Um, she's going to figure this out sometime. And so mm. mentally and emotionally, I punished myself. And I think in, in a way I punished her too, because I just, I just didn't believe that it was possible for someone as, as scummy and worthless and hopeless as me um, to be loved by someone as, as cool as, as she was. And, you know, the Bible tells us exactly the opposite, right? It, it tells right. us that we are right. loved, that we are precious, that we are, are truly treasures in God's eyes. Yeah. But when you have depression, you don't hear that. You don't believe it. The, the, yeah. That sense of, of love and hope is just not present. Um, I wound up actually starting to, to engage in cutting. I would, I would actually go and cut on my, on my forearms, um, because it felt like somehow that might, that might help. It felt like a release. Mm. It felt like it was a way, as I say in the book, it was a way for me to drain away the crazy that I felt like Mm. I was really dealing with. Um, it was very, very difficult time for me. I just, I really just had a hard time dealing with it. Um, part of that actually was because Wendy and I, um, again, I, I came from a Christian home. We started having sex and I felt really guilty about that. Really, really guilty about it. I felt like I was not the person who my parents had raised. I felt like I was not the person who God wanted me to be. And yet there was, there was this element, there's this power that, 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 you know, sexual content, contact comes with. And so I just, I would tell myself every day, no, not going to do that again. And it would never hold. And yeah. the, the catalyst that actually brought me out of depression, this particular bout of depression, was actually Wendy got pregnant. And uh, 
we had to make some huge decisions about what we were going to do with our lives. Um, wow. I, I still remember the day we walked into the, the pregnancy clinic and she had been a bit late. We weren't worried about it. We just wanted to make, get it all figured out because it was finals week. We had to kind of get, you know, move our right. attention to other things. Yeah. Um, she said, nope, Wendy, mm-hmm. you are definitely pregnant. And then came the calls to my parents. And I remember giving my parents a call. I, I have always tried to, to make light of certain things. And so I, I tried to make a little bit of a joke out of it. I said, guess what? I'm getting married. Wendy and I are getting married. And my parents were excited for a minute. And for just that, that split second... And then I said, and Wendy's pregnant. Mm. And I just remember hearing my mom start to cry. Mm. And I listened to her cry over the phone while my dad, who was on another extension, said, I'm so disappointed in you. I'm so disappointed in you. It was one of the hardest moments of my life. And yet, that catalyst proved to be the thing that helped me move away. The the thing about my depression is that it's, it's very internal. Right, and it's focused in on those feelings of 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 worthlessness, of yeah. hopelessness, and you wind up sort of eating yourself from the inside out, essentially, because you just dwell on all of that all the time. Right. You would think that this moment, especially especially how my family has felt about it, how I dealt with it, that would be a huge catalyst to sending me deeper into depression. Yeah. But the thing was, I had to make some really big decisions. And all of a sudden, I had other people counting on me. It wasn't just mm-hmm. it wasn't just me anymore. It wasn't just me and my it wasn't just me and my pain. I had I had this woman who I loved that I needed to watch out for. I had this I had this baby that was coming along and I couldn't let that baby down. And so that pushed me into a place where I had to, to stop focusing so much inside myself and look outward and start moving forward. Hey, friends, I want to tell you about the Pain to Purpose devotional that's releasing July 22nd. And I have a special offer for just you podcast listeners that I'll tell you about in just a minute. After my late wife, Amanda, was killed, I went through a season where I felt like God was speaking to me in profound ways. Right after tragedy, he often shows up and carries you in what I call a hammock of grace and reveals to you more of the mysteries of himself than ever before. But I had a hunch that a dry season was coming for me. I knew enough about following Jesus to know that things ebb and flow like that. And I knew I wanted to draw from these truths again. So I decided to write everything down that I was learning. Then I found myself sharing these truths so much with people we were helping and coaching that I decided to create a resource that would lead people into the aha moments I experienced in God's Word, particularly pertaining to pain and trauma. That's what the Pain to Purpose devotional is all about. 
It's a fantastic supplement to your daily quiet time with the Lord over a 42-day journey. On top of that, several of you have asked if we know any good resources to send someone who is struggling. So we decided to make one. And here's your special offer. If you pre-order the devotional before July 22nd, you can get 20% off the purchase by using the promo code PODCAST. The devotional will show up on your doorstep on July 22nd, and you'll gain access to all our exclusive pre-order bonuses, including the entire audiobook version, five-minute video teachings that correspond to each day, our new Pain to Purpose toolkit, digital screensavers and shareables, and more. As a bonus, if you place a pre-order of seven or more copies, we'll give you free lifetime access to the Pain to Purpose course. Again, this is a perfect resource to keep on hand and give out to people who are going through a difficult time. To pre-order the devotional and to check out all the bonuses, go to paintopurposedevo.com and use the code PODCAST for 20% off the devotional, just for being a Nothing Is Wasted podcast listener. Again, that's paintopurposedevo.com and use that code PODCAST for 20% off. the first question that comes to mind here in this is even just hearing you say your dad's reaction, you know, him saying, I'm, I'm so disappointed in you. Um, and even just noticing the emotion that came out of you right then in that moment, um, I would have also thought exactly what you said, that that would have driven you even deeper. And yet you've got these, you know, this, this bride to be and this baby to look out for that kind of pulled you out of this. However, I'm wondering, did those two things sustain that being lifted out of depression or was that uh, temporary, albeit maybe long, for a long time, was that a temporary pulling out of, and did it you have temporary. to go back and did you have to go back and <laughs> confront yeah. this whole thing over here? That's still this, this voice that's still ringing in your head you know, you're yep. not worthy of love. I'm disappointed Absolutely. in you. Absolutely. It was, it was a great catalyst and it was really important. It was a really important step, I think, um, just in my own personal journey and, and frankly, just, just growing up. Um, yeah. but in terms of my depression, it was temporary. You know, I, 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 the baby came along just wonderfully. We named him Colin. He was a beautiful little boy. Actually, he was a really ugly little boy when he came, <laughs> when he first came. Newborns are not necessarily very no, pretty. You're right. Um, we, uh. we felt that he was such a great kid that, that when he and I decided to have a, another one on purpose this time, it was, it was <laughs> really, she is, her name is Emily and she's just absolutely wonderful. She just had her own baby actually. Um, wow. so I'm a grandparent. Now. Wow. Crazy. <laughs> but as time went on, as, as you so, um, insightfully said, I think, mm. It wasn't a fix. You know, it was a catalyst that, that allowed yeah. me to jump out. But all the underlying feelings and thoughts and, and, and anxieties and, and ingredients for depression were still 
lurking within yeah. me. Um, and and you just can't you can't get rid of them by a really good moment or a really catalytic right. time in your life. Circumstantially or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You have to actually grapple with it. Um, right. I was I was doing pretty well, I think, for probably seven or eight years. I had just we'll fast forward to to my first really big job um, and big responsibilities. I was actually working for the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, of all things. Um, and I was the editor of their trade magazine. I had a staff of probably 10, 12 people at the time. I was in my 20s and don't think I was quite ready for being a boss. And... I felt the pressure of what I was doing and the people who were counting on me to know what I was doing. I felt the pressure of the people above me to make my employees behave the way they wanted them to. And for some reason, it it felt like a lot at the time. Um, And that, again, was sort of a pressure point for me. Yeah. If my depression is is defined in some ways by these feelings of worthlessness in me, when I felt like I wasn't doing a particularly good job at my job, it really freaked me out a little bit. I yeah. I had um, it, it. I felt like I was failing, and. Because I felt like I was failing, I would lean into what I think I and and probably many people do. You just work harder, right? Right. right. So 40, 50-hour weeks would turn into 60, 70-hour weeks where I'd be mm. working, 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 working. Um, again, I had two kids at the time. I was spending yeah. a lot of time away from home. The job involved a lot of travel. Mm. And... Um, I found myself losing touch, I think, with with these kids in my life in a way, um, yeah. not being at home for for my wife. I remember one Thanksgiving, actually, we we finished up Thanksgiving dinner and right about 10 o'clock at night, I felt this urge that I needed to get something taken care of. So I went to the office 10 o'clock Thanksgiving night. My wife was saying, what are you doing? You can't leave on Thanksgiving evening. But I did. Mm. And I felt like a failure at work. I felt like a failure at home. And then all of a sudden, my stomach just sort of revolted on me, right? Mm. I um, Again, depression is so funny. And I think that there's a lot of people who deal with depression who... Um, don't even know that they're dealing with it because it can manifest yeah. itself as so many different things. This time, I still had never really thought that I had ever been depressed, really depressed, even through the cutting, even through all the all the horrors that, that I experienced in college. Um, I didn't think that I was particularly depressed. And this time, I thought it was just my stomach. I woke up mm-hmm. one morning and I realized that just moving was just making me sick. I just wow. couldn't do it. Um. I called in, figuring it was just a stomach bug, thought it would go go through my system in a day or two. Mm. 
I was on a couch for literally four weeks. Wow. I camped out in in the basement. We had just finished our basement, actually. Um, And I just moved downstairs. Wow. Camped out on the basement. I couldn't watch TV because I couldn't focus. It made my stomach hurt. The only thing I could actually watch was actually, oddly enough, Disney Mouseketeer reruns. Those were the only things that that (laughs) I felt like I could mentally and and emotionally and physically handle. Um, Every four or five days, I would make my way to the bathroom downstairs and take a shower. Sometimes I would actually need to sit down in the shower because I just didn't have the energy. I would be I would be up all night. I would sleep for maybe 90 minutes in a 24-hour period. And and because I couldn't watch TV, I couldn't read. I spent most of that time just staring at the ceiling, staring at the wall, doing absolutely nothing because I just couldn't. Um, it was really, really problematic. I, I was so fortunate that I had very understanding people who I worked with. Uh, they understood that there was something going on with me. Um, so they gave me a lot of, a lot of um, rain to try to figure it out. But I would go to doctors after doctor, and and they didn't know what was wrong with me. They couldn't find anything wrong with my stomach. And so finally, at that point, um, I started thinking, this has to be something else. And it was shortly after that, as as I was starting to come out of it, um, that I was was diagnosed with depression. So. Mm. Wow. Wow. So... You're, when you're diagnosed with this, right, you get this diagnosis of depression. I'm, I'm assuming it, it started making every, a lot of things click, you know, because prior to this, you, you had said, I didn't even consider depression was one of the things I was dealing with. I just kind of thought it was this or that or some other thing circumstantially. Then you get a diagnosis. Hey, you're, you are uh, clinically depressed or whatever the terminology they used for that. What did that cause you to do then at that moment? What was it like this? Oh, aha. Now I know. Okay. I now have at least some explanation and now I can, we've got a plan. We can figure this out. Or did it send you even further into a vortex? What, what exactly (laughs) happened there where you're like, did it provide some kind of comfort just to have a label for it now or, or what? It was gradual to be honest with you. Um, one of the things about depression, and I think uh, what what are the things about about mental illness in general, is that society doesn't really talk about it very much, mm-hmm. and I think that there's some questions sometimes in some people's minds as to whether it even exists. Um, mm. As a Christian with depression, um, I have heard often that. Um, if I was truly a Christian, I would not be depressed because we have the hope of Jesus Christ. How, when you have the gospel, how, when you have the true good news, can you feel hopeless in, Mm. in the light of that? And I think because of my upbringing and because ironically, I'm, I'm a fairly, 
optimistic person, generally speaking, mm. I doubted it a little bit. You know, mm. to be honest with you, I, I, I doubted it. Even though I had so many of the symptoms of depression, you know, inability to right. concentrate, un, uh, unable to eat, unable to sleep, um, feelings of, of, of suicidal ideation, you know, that was all part of my makeup in that time. Even with all of that, I think I still initially pushed the diagnosis to the side mm. because I just, I just didn't believe it. Or maybe, maybe I didn't want to believe it. You know, yeah. it's, it's hard to, your mind does funny things. And, and obviously when you're, when you are dealing with a mental illness, like anxiety, like depression, like so many of other things, by definition, your brain is not working the way it should. Yeah. Right. And so you, you make choices and you think things that don't necessarily make sense. And I think in the moment I was thinking things that didn't necessarily make sense. Mm. Um, I still had hopes, <laughs> as odd as that sounds, that it was a stomach thing. I <laughs> um, still was um, pushing aside the idea that that there was mental illness that I really needed to deal with. Yeah, I mean, especially in Christian circles, that can be a very disconcerting thing to be told there's mental illness. You know, mm -hmm. even it feels like from a terminology standpoint, you say depression and anxiety. A lot of people now would say, yeah, I've, I've had a bout with that in some varying degree or another. Then you move it down the spectrum, it feels like, to mental illness that becomes something where, especially in Christian circles, you go, whoa, hold on a second. Wait a minute. You know, like you said, the Holy Spirit and mental illness, they, they can't coexist. You know, so there must be, you must not really be a Christian. And, yeah. and yet we see a lot of the heroes of our faith in scripture who very clearly dealt with some type of or season of mental illness. Absolutely. Suicide Absolutely. ideation. You know, I think of Elijah after Mount Carmel. I think of Paul who said, we despair of life itself. You know, we don't want you to, um, we don't want you to think that we're not dealing with some really heavy, difficult stuff right now. So, um, so as you began to kind of untangle this and wrestle with this, is, is this the point that you, that you decided, man, I got to grapple with some of these things internally. I got to really deal with this. And, yeah. and what did that look like? Yeah. Well, it, you made a great segue for me, actually, because I, I think that, that one of the things that that encouraged me, actually, was uh, was diving into the Bible and to see some of the people who you mentioned. Um, I think that sometimes there's a temptation in Christian circles, and I'm not exactly sure why this is or whether this is just maybe my own skewed experience, but sometimes I think that, that we as Christians are, we perform as salesmen in, in a certain respect. Mm. We want to show the love of Christ to other people and, and rightfully so. Right. Mm. Um, 
We want to say, this is what Jesus in your life can do for you. And sometimes we can do that even with each other. I, I, I tend to think that, that sometimes the least honest places that you'll find um, might be Sunday mornings in church. Everybody greets one another. They they shake hands. They smile. They ask, "How are you doing? I am fine. How are you?" They they want. Um, they sometimes hide a great deal of pain. I think, mm-hmm. um, and that was something that I, I grappled with as I was starting to come uh, to understand my depression a little bit. I didn't necessarily find a lot of help in church at the very beginning, but I did find a lot of help in Scripture because in the Bible, you see this this incredible honesty, this transparency of the pain, the agony, the difficulties that people have— you know, you mentioned Elijah, you mentioned uh, Paul. You, I, I always think of Job. You think of the yeah. psalmist. You, you think about the, those, those incredible poets crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. There, there can be psalms that, that read almost like, like textbook examples of, of what depression can feel like, where you feel right. just barren. You feel empty. You feel that sense, that vacuum. And you wonder when God is going to speak to you in that vacuum. I'm so grateful that the Bible is as honest as it is with with that pain. Because it it helped me to accept my own pain a little bit more. And even if some of the people who I talked with thought that I was weird or, you know, not Christian, um, I think the, the Bible itself gave me comfort to know that, that what I was dealing with was, wasn't out of God's plan. Yeah. That, that God understood this and he accepts he accepts it. You know, he, he, he is there for you. And I think that that's when I, when I talk a little bit earlier about, about how I didn't feel very loved by God. I didn't feel like I was very worthy of that love. As I sank deeper and deeper and deeper into the scripture, I think I came to understand that, God deals with some really, really broken people there. And some of those yeah. people do remarkable things for the faith, for God, for other people. Yeah. And I realized that I could do the same. So I think that that was, that was probably one of the first steps that I took. Yeah. You know, we do tend to, as Christians, we tend to, like you said, approach it kind of as a sales, uh, a sales approach. We'll put these like uh, platitudes on what we're going through, what other people are going through. We'll put these little pithy phrases that kind of whitewash a little bit, the real and the raw. And so because I feel like we fail to dive into the real deep, dark, vulnerable places with each other and and with the Lord. But at the same time, we, um, we also do experience 
this, this like lifting out of when we're walking through this kind of stuff, you know? So it's almost like we, we mistime it sometimes, you know, we kind of, <laughs> before we, yeah. before we dive into the deep, we're already plastering these, you know, hopeful, you know, triumphant <laughs> things. And it's like, well, we haven't quite gone there yet. We need, you know, now we need to, let's go there because, you know, first is the cross and Friday and then was the resurrection, you know, and the resurrection was, a, was so profound because of the reality and the gravity and the gruesome, horrific nature of the cross. And yeah. this is also our journey as well Absolutely. Um, into Christ-likeness. But you, you titled this book, Beauty in the, Br- in the Browns. And this, this has this kind of play on, there's beauty in this, and yet there's this, talk to me about the inspiration behind the book as you're, you said it earlier, it was a, conf, it's, it's kind of a confessional, this book. Yeah, is. it is. This just raw, honest, here it is, you know. This is me, you know, it, right, that's all right. it is, right? Um, and, and, and that's another thing that I, I, I should mention, actually, before I get into, into this story is depression is so um, unique to every individual. Yeah. And I, I am very aware of some of the stuff that that I use to help myself through through depression. I, I would say that 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 I am always prone to depression. This is a part of my mm. walk, and I kind of think it always will be. Um, mm, yeah. Those feelings of worthlessness come back. Uh, the feelings of of hopelessness can can always threaten, and they can they can threaten in. in some really unexpected moments. Um, other people who deal with depression, they might deal with it once, and it's fine. A lot of people deal with it at a level that I am not even aware of. My son actually deals with depression deeply, and uh, mm. and it's 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 harder in a lot of ways. One of the reasons I wrote the book was was to try to help him, to give him mm. some guidance, some hope, some really simple tips on, on, on what I use to cope day to day. Um, but he deals with depression on a level that, that I do not typically deal with. So as I wrote this book, I was really aware that, that it's a very individual journey and what may help me may not work as well for somebody else. And I am very, very cognizant of what I'm about to say, the beauty in the browns, that can be really hard for people who are in the very teeth of depression to embrace. Because, man, I tell you what, when you're in deep, dark, serious depression, I can't think of much that's worse. Mm. Um everything goes black mm. everything empties it can be the worst place you can imagine it can be it can be i think the closest we can come to hell mm. in in this life in some ways because you just feel you just feel like you're in a frozen lake uh, yeah. where you can't move you can't breathe you can't even cry sometimes because it's just so overwhelming. The cold is just that deep. But I have to say that 
when I look back at my experience with depression, I don't know if I'd, I'd give up those, I don't think I would give it up. And, mm. and, and that is a very, very odd thing to say. So the, the, and I, the best way I know how to do to, to describe it is really to talk a little bit about the title. When, yeah. when I was a kid, um, I grew up in Colorado, right? I live in Colorado, uh, have lived here all this, all these many, many years. My family comes from a place called Alamosa, Colorado. And I think most people who, who are not familiar with the state, they think of it as, you know, green and mountainous and snowpack peaks and the whole <laughs> bit. Alamosa, Colorado is, is located in a place called the San Luis Valley. It is cold there and dry there. And is it, I think it, it gets typically colder in Alamosa than it does in, in Anchorage, Alaska, Fargo, North Dakota. Um, wow. It is technically a desert. It gets that little rain. Um, and that's where my family comes from. So we would visit my family down there pretty frequently. Um, and it's always really ugly there. Let me just be honest. Yeah. It's always very <laughs> brown. Um, we went down there one February and... It was, we were visiting my grandma, my dad was there, uh, my sister, my younger sister was there, and it was warm for a February day. It was like, it was like 15 degrees. So we thought, my dad says, <laughs> that may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. My, uh, my dad says, well, why don't we go for a walk? So me and my sister, we throw on all these coats and all these hats and everything, and we dive out into the cold, cold Alamosa air. And we just start walking through these vacant lots. Um, my grandma didn't live in the best of neighborhoods, and so there was just mm. all this all this dilapidated uh, vacant lots with trash and, and, and metal scraps and everything in it. And these were the lots that we were sort of walking around in. The trees were totally barren of, of leaves. The, the weeds were, you know, waist high. Everything just looked dry and ugly and miserable. And I was, I was actually thinking how ugly everything looked when my dad turned to me and he said, man, look at this. Look at all the browns. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> so my dad's an artist. He grows up, he grew up, you know, drawing and painting. And he has the ability, I think, to see the beauty in things that most of us might miss. Hmm. He, while I was looking at the dryness and the ugliness and the cold, he was seeing the textures. He was looking hmm. at the shades of brown that he saw. He was yeah. looking at the, the, just the shape of the foliage that, that he saw. And he saw something that I couldn't see. Hmm. And now sometimes when my daughter and I go running on one of our long, arduous runs in February, we run through these fields and sometimes she knows this story. Sometimes I'll, I'll turn to her and I'll say, man, look at all these browns. Isn't it great? Hmm. And I'm half joking. And yet 
I'm really serious at the same time because it is beautiful. It is beautiful. And I think that as odd as it sounds, what I have been through, what I still go through, allows me to see the world a little differently. Mm. I see things um, that maybe, and maybe I'm just flattering myself, but, but sometimes I think that I see things that other people miss. Um, I find that we can find beauty in, in the midst of the suffering that we feel. Mm. We can find hope sometimes in our most painful moments. Um, it's not always apparent. It's not always easy to find. But at the same time, I think it's there. I mm. think because of what the weird experiences that I've had, the, 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 the pain, the hopelessness that I've felt, those were formative moments for me. Mm. And I think it allows me to see people a little bit differently. I, I, I always go back to, um, to what the Bible says, where sometimes our weaknesses are strengths. Yeah. I think that's absolutely the case. I think that my depression is without question a weakness. And yet, because I deal with it and have dealt with it, it allows me maybe to reach people a little bit differently than mm. some others might. Um, it allows me to experience the pain. As much as, as strange as that sounds, I, I think that it, it allows me to, getting back to what we talked about earlier, to maybe offer just a little tiny, tiny bit of hope um, when it feels like there's none, like there's no joy, hope left. When it feels like you're on mile 22 of a marathon and you feel like you're never going to make it. You just take the next step and the next step after that and you keep pushing down the road as much as you can. Um, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's really painful. Sometimes you wound up walking or even, even crawling. But you can make it to the finish line. Mm. And that's when, that's when Jesus will come to you mm. and say, well done, my good oh. and faithful servant. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love the subtitle of Beauty in the Browns. It's walking with Christ in the distress or I'm sorry, the, the darkness of depression, walking with Christ in the darkness of depression. And I love that subtitle because um, uh, implicit within that is that Christ is walking with you in the darkness and depression. 
right? That there is, you know, of course you say this is how you walk with Christ. Well, Christ is walking with us, you know, and, and I think sometimes we think that if it's, if it's dark, somehow we wound up there because we weren't walking with Christ, you know? And so we've got to find our way back to the light before Jesus is walking with us again. You know, that's absolutely often the message of, mm-hmm. uh, or what we get is the message of Christianity sometimes. But, you know, I guess my kind of the, my final question, um, in this conversation, Paul would be if someone's feels like they're in that space, that darkness of depression. How do they begin to, um, and invite Christ into that space, um, to walk with him and let, let him walk with them in that space. Because that, that I think is where the beauty in the Browns lies. And that's what you've been communicating this whole time is that the beauty lies in the fact that we experience this closeness with Christ in our pain that we never would have otherwise experienced had we just kind of side skirted it or glossed or, you know, pushed it aside and not dealt with it. But as we dive in and deal with it, so we start untangling this stuff, we experience a measure of Christ that we would have never experienced. There's the beauty. There's yeah. the hope. So if someone's listening to this and they're like, well, I'm, I'm there. I'd love to experience that. How do I invite Christ into this? I think the first thing is, is to be honest, hmm. to be painfully honest. Um, depression Depression is really good about lying to you, about your self-worth, about um, any hope that you might feel. And I think that that it can lie to you about the nature and the reality of God and Jesus. You know, I, I, it can be hard to look beyond your own pain, to look up um at at a loving creator it just can sometimes feel in that space so untouchable so unreachable and i think we have to take a a a page out of psalms you know mm. and cry out cry out with with all the pain all the anguish all the doubts all the questions all the anger you may feel because you're feeling this way. It doesn't feel fair that you're feeling this way. Yeah. That's, that's a hard thing to grapple with. I think that, that, that we always feel like things should be fair. And when something like this smacks us upside the head, it's not fair at all. Mm. So to, to cry out and to be honest with those feelings... I think is is step one. Mm. the The second step is really to understand that you are not alone. Mm-hmm. That people suffer from this every day. This is nothing new. You find people throughout history who have made a huge difference, both within the church and, and outside of the church, uh, that have experienced this this pain, this agony, and they've managed to push through. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., 
was they say he was he was pretty depressed throughout much of his life. Abraham Lincoln um, suffered through huge bouts of depression. To understand that you're not alone, that you're not suffering through this alone, I think can be really key Um, because depression, again, it isolates you. It pushes you away from your loved ones, from your friends, from from the world around you, and it can make you feel so, so isolated. But you're not alone. And maybe the third is to take a chance and reach out. Mm. One of the things that that I find really difficult to do in my own walk is to be as transparent as I was in this book, honestly. After I wrote it, I really did not want to talk about it with anybody ever again. And I secretly hoped that no one I knew would read it because it felt so, so exposing. It felt like I was walking around naked. And... As I said at the very top, I'm used to talking about fun things, movies, TV. Right. I'm used to being the funny guy who makes jokes sometimes, bad jokes sometimes, but funny, <laughs> I hope. Um, but that's what depression wants you to do. It, it, it wants to isolate you from the world around you. It wants to lock you off from your loved ones. And sometimes the biggest catalyst you can you can you can find for yourself to bring yourself out of it is to trust people in your lives to help you through it. To say, I'm having a really hard day. And be really honest about what sort of day you're having. Mm. And reach out to, to somebody, a friend, a family member. If you don't have someone very close to you reach out through through one of the hotlines that they have you know you, they have suicide hotlines they have the mental health hotlines that you can find and you can talk with somebody um right. just don't suffer alone because it's that loneliness that that can be so incredibly wicked in this thing yeah yeah well that's good paul i appreciate so much you taking some time to to share with us and, and your vulnerability. And, you know, it's, it's really needed the, you're giving people permission to have these conversations and you're giving people permission to open up and to reach out in the midst of their depression. You're um, normalizing it in a good way, right? Helping people understand, Hey, this isn't normal in the sense that just needs to be whitewashed to brush aside, but this is normal in a sense that there's more than just you going through this. And you're not a bad person for dealing with this. And I think that's an important message in, in Christianity to help us understand that it's actually in these spaces that we um, are going to find some of our deepest faith and our deepest hope. Uh, but we have to grapple with it. We have to wrestle with it. We have to dig down deep into what these, some of even some of these identity issues that, um, you know, the maybe orphan type mentality that we're carrying that's causing this to us to have these feelings of worthlessness and feelings of, um, of isolation. So I thank you so much for doing that. I want to make sure everybody's able to follow you and what you're doing and want to make sure everybody picks up beauty in the Browns. Um, Paul, do you have a website, a blog or 
you know, social media, anything that we can follow to just kind of be on the journey with you? Absolutely. If you're, if you're interested in, in more of my writing and again, most of it is movies. So if you're not interested in movies, just <laughs> that like, might be really refreshing for a lot of people. <laughs> so, but I do have a website, paulac.com. Um, I am on Twitter at AC Paul. That's A-S-A-Y Paul. Um, yeah. And, and I'm really happy you know, it, on my website, there's a place where you can contact me via email. You can contact me via Twitter. Again, sometimes this is the, part of this journey is is sometimes just feeling very, very alone. Yeah. And for those who just need to reach out, you know, I'm yeah. I'm available, and and I'm happy to to just listen because sometimes that's that's what mm. you need most of all is is just somebody to listen to you. Yeah, that's great. Well, man, thank you so much for spending time with us. And I know you blessed our, our listeners um, as you shared. So thank you again. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Hey, that was just another really powerful episode. Yeah. And I appreciate Paul's vulnerability. Um, yeah. I appreciate his, even his sense of humor in his vulnerability. <laughs> kind of self-deprecating uh, humor. It's like, yeah. something I, lo- I love that. And yet at the same time, you also are, you know, you're empathizing in it too, because you're realizing it's coming from, in a lot of places, a deep place of, of pain and, yeah. and depression yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I really, yeah, I really, really appreciated him. Yeah. And of course, one of the things that he talked about that I think is so prevalent in a lot of our minds, especially in the church, is that he felt like because of things he had heard or things people said to him or just maybe his spiritual formation, yeah. that he couldn't be a Christian and be depressed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, I do think that's a lie that a lot of Christians uh, feel that something is, maybe they're not a Christian if they're depressed, or if they're a Christian and they are depressed, they don't know how to reconcile those two things. But, you know, I mean, we know there are are all kinds of statistics about depression, especially coming out of the pandemic, right? I know, I know. It's, what do they say that the reported symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder rates increased from 11% in 2019. And I know there's, there's some averages, but 11% in 2019 to over 30% in 2021, which tells you a lot. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? You know, and, and, um, you know, my wife, Christy, she's a PA and so she's done a bunch of research on the wellness coaching stuff that she's doing. And she's talking with a lot of her, her friends and the report of anxiety and depressive disorders, um, have they drastically increased over COVID anecdotally. So we've got Mm. research statistics right here, but also providers telling you, yes, this is happening. People are coming in more with these symptoms and it's not, it, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be a lot easier to diagnose some things or at least kind of find the root if it was like, yeah, all the non-believers are being, are, are, are feeling depression right. more and all the believers are, are good. But the reality is the conversation we just had showed us and yeah. many of our experiences show us that, that we are also suffering from depression and anxiety as believers. And yes, I that's think right. you're absolutely right, Aubrey, in that having these, having mental illness is not an indicator that we are not following Jesus. Well, um, there are lots of different reasons you may be struggling with mental illness. There's not one 
you know, perpetrator being your spiritual walk is not up to par. Right. That's not right. the case. But that has historically been at least, uh, whether it's overtly stated or not, that's historically been the climate or at least the culture that we have felt as believers in, in the church. And Davey, I don't want to put you on the spot here because I'm not interviewing you, but you're a pastor. Yeah. And so I'm sure a lot of people come to you and especially just your ministry with Nothing Is Wasted. People right. come to you saying, hey, I'm depressed or I'm dealing with anxiety or I'm dealing with some other mental illness community. Yeah. And what is sort of your pastoral wisdom for folks in that situation? Well, I want them to recognize first that it's it's normal. You know, it's not something that you're not a bad person because you're feeling depression. And, yeah. you know, if we define it, there's sadness, right? There's deep sadness mm-hmm. or, or grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, depression is the long standing sadness that doesn't seem to go away. And it's the feeling of permanence, yeah. right? There's this idea of, you know, permanence pervasive, um, where it's, where this is always going to be the case. And that's kind of this, the, the mentality that we settle into. And that's what depression is, or that's how it manifests in depression. And so we experience that a lot. There were, characters in scripture that were very godly men and women who we see experience this. That's um, right. You know, so much so that they wanted to end their life. You know, yeah. Elijah, I would say he was a man of faith, but at one point after the whole Mount Carmel thing, he yep. got to such a bad state. Um, and there was a lot of reasons. There were physical reasons for that. He had burned yep. out. There was burnout. Yep. Um, but there was also a lie that he was believing of the enemy that he was the only one left, the only prophet left. And, mm. and God had to address that lie with him and say, no, Obadiah has hidden 500 more, you know, but I want you to understand that you, you've got to, you know, he, he got to a place where he just wanted to die. Um, yeah. Paul says yeah. this, the apostle Paul says this. Right. And the psalmists say the this psalmist as well, right? Cont- Darkness is my exactly. only companion. I have wept and wept and wept until my, my bones are dry, right. you know? Yeah. Right. And so what I always try to help people understand is, is as we begin to kind of pull the thread on these things. Let's figure out what the culprit is or the culprits for mm. depression. And, and let's tackle some of those things. Is it, we need to um, kind of address, you know, some of the physical aspects of it, our, you know, our diet or exercise. Those mm-hmm. are common grace uh, treatments that we mm-hmm. can look at for depression. Is it, uh, is there some underlying lie that we're believing that we need to untangle, whether it's through counseling or coaching, you know, what are, what are the, what are the things as we pull the thread on this? Because I don't believe that God desires for us to live in a long depressive state, but I also believe that all of us are going to probably experience some kind of dark night of the soul. And God even allows us to experience those things in a lot of cases, because it causes us to run and, and lean closer to him. And we begin to kind of untangle some of the deep, you know, um, the, the deep underlying lies that have been pervasive in our life, even from childhood. Yeah, I, I, I think that's such a good word that we that we normalize the fact that many, many folks, including mm. many, many Christians, many, many Christian leaders, many, many yeah. pastors suffer from some form of depression, anxiety, mental illness. So let's normalize it. Let's remember that that doesn't mean God has abandoned us. Right. And, and simultaneously, like you said, Davey, but God may have more. And right. so whether that's through a counseling, right. a counselor, whether that's maybe through, um, you know, something that we are doing here at Nothing right. is Wasted, uh, checking out our Pain to Purpose course, mm-hmm. hiring a certified guide, joining a community group, checking out some of the resources we have at nothingiswasted.com. Yeah. There are 
ways that God wants to partner with you in this specific right. aspect of your pain um, so that you don't have to walk through it as right. isolated as Elijah did or as isolated as others sometimes do. Yeah. Well, we are here at Nothing Is Wasted to partner with you, and, mm-hmm. and we want to help you find the the resources, find the encouragement that you need, whatever it is you're walking through. And another thing that we have for you that's really exciting, dropping the next two Mondays, is uh, a preview yeah. of the Pain to Purpose devotion right. that Davey has written. Um, it's an audio clip, an audio teaser, yeah, an audio it's like a chapter. of the audio book. Yeah. There you go. And so for the next two Mondays, you can listen to that. And if you pre-order the book before July 22nd, you actually get the entire audio book for free, which I think is really, really exciting because I love audio books. I probably should have had you read this audio book, Aubrey, because I like your voice a lot better than mine. But... You know, next time, next you have time this, like, around. Nice radio voice, and just yeah. Next time, but I knew you were reading the audio book for your book, and so I was. I, I was just it's, recording it's that. A, yep. It's a lot to record an audio book, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to layer that. Next time, Aubrey's going to read the audio book for this part two of the Pain to Purpose devotional. <laughs> that's right. Be sure to check this one out and that one in the future. We also right. want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davy Blackburn, and at Ob Samp. Next week, we have a great conversation with Christy Furlow. You're going to love her. Let's go ahead and dive into a little sample that we have of my conversation with Christy. Our tragedy came really suddenly. You know, he was very well and healthy. He was coaching my son's baseball team and Mm -hmm. we were just both working full time, living normal lives. And he laid down one Sunday afternoon to take a nap. And when he woke up, he was different. And we both knew it. And we went to the doctor the next morning. He was having trouble remembering things, just couldn't really get his thoughts to be clear. So we went into the doctor thinking that something was wrong with his hormones or a vitamin deficiency, you know, something really simple. And they did a CAT scan and he had a huge brain tumor right in the center of his brain. 